Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you'll listen to our past podcast conversations, and if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcasts, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and any online book retailer you prefer. Check out Drive Your Career today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you are looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. I'm really excited to introduce our guest today. Gary Fry is the connector MacGyver. I'm sure he'll tell us all about what that means. And a confidant, which he just uh, demonstrates through leadership coaching of high growth organizations and leaders of those high growth organizations. Gary has a number of career highlights, including credited by Yokohama CEO for advancing market share and profitability via brand clarity. He led sales turnaround for an IG manufacturer filling plants to capacity and restoring profitability for that organization. He became the second highest sales leader in a private equity firm, averaging 30% increases year over year. And he also pioneered Bank of America's first coordinated segment-specific business marketing approach. So this individual has done a lot, and we are thrilled to have him as a guest on Be Brave at Work today. Welcome to our podcast, Gary. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here, Ed. We are thrilled to have you. And I shared some of the highlights from your career, but I would suspect there is more to tell. And our listeners would love to hear a little bit more from you about your career background and how you are currently interacting in the marketplace. Sure. Well, first of all, I love interacting in the marketplace. Um, I think it's a place... If you look at America, quite frankly, small and medium-sized businesses privately held are the engine, quite frankly, that keep things rolling. And, um, you know, I came from very humble means in the middle of nowhere in Kansas. (laughs) And I was brought in to do my first turnaround at the ripe old age of 28. And I had zero credentials. I had no uh, reason, quite frankly, why I should be put into that position, but I was. And so, and we did actually turn it in nine months, which was a really cool thing. And I thought that was going to be my forever home. Um, And uh, about three years later, I caught my partner with his hand in the cookie jar uh, one too many times (laughs) and financial improprieties um, surfaced. And it was really, it was really very, very difficult. Um, had to leave my own company that had my name on the door, either that or I destroyed him. And so that's what brought me to Charlotte, North Carolina in 1994. Um, so, 
you know, along the way, I've run four companies and I've done a couple turnarounds and I've been in two Fortune 500 companies. So I've I've got truly uh, an experience of I planned and God laughed. I mean, I really thought my own agency was going to be my forever home and I would have been very happy to do that. Um, we've experienced some really amazing things and some very tragic things along the way, like most people do, I think, in their journey. Um, but because of that really strange and rich experience filled with highs and lows, I think I had this really soft and tender heart for business owners in particular and entrepreneurs that risk everything, go through the white knuckle city of, you know, the brakes have just failed and we're coming down the mountain from Pikes Peak and our spouses in the driver or in the passenger seat holding on for dear life. And, you know, my wife of almost 39 years now has been in that passenger seat and, um, you know, still been right by my side, which I'm really, really grateful for. So anyway, I think that's that's why I have such a tender heart for businesses. And, and they, they truly are ripple makers, either positive or negative. You know, as the leaders go, so do so does the organization. And it has massive ripple effect on the families and the communities in which they live and quite frankly, in our nation. So um, that's a little bit about me. Great. Thank you, Gary. And I have a couple of questions. You opened with a quick story about getting placed into a role that you were supremely unqualified for. <laughs> and so I'm always interested, why did they choose you? Well, it's funny because um, my business partner was 20 years older than me. He was running his own firm and he he was a, a PR expert, quite frankly. He was very good and he had been the former head of corporate communications for Cessna Aircraft. His agency was bleeding all over the place. I mean, he he didn't have the money to go bankrupt. It was that bad. And so he did a Hail Mary and paid this guy, Stuart Sanders out of Richmond, Virginia, 10,000 bucks a day in 1991, plus all expenses ahead of time. <laughs> and, and Stuart only flew first class and coming into Wichita, Kansas from another second or third tier city like Richmond, those weren't cheap tickets either. Um, but it was truly a Hail Mary. And and he his formula was, hey, you need to bring in house certain things uh, from the creative side and blah, blah, blah. And you need to be more well-rounded than just PR. So um, Stuart had asked around Wichita, Kansas, and my name kept coming up. Young Buck had batteries installed. And, um, and what was interesting is, um, I was part of the creative team of a big firm that had gotten acquired because, and we were, we were an award-winning firm, but we also had a couple big blue chip accounts, including the largest McDonald's franchise group in the country and the acquiring company really just wanted that account. They didn't want the creative team and the accolades that we were chasing and that we were known for. And so that's why my name kept coming up. But quite frankly, I had no business in doing a turnaround. I just brought bonehead simple, you know, like, hey, let's do what we say we're going to do. And then a little bit more. And hey, let's price ourselves on the high end of the market. And let's get rid of uh, hourly pricing. And let's do things based on 
what the value of the, the work is and those kind of things. I mean, really simple things and then hire good people and let them do their job. Um, so that was, that's kind of it. Well, there you go. I think maybe they weren't that crazy after all. <laughs> and, you know, it sounds as though also, Gary, that today you do a lot of work with entrepreneurs or at least, you know, play in those marketplaces. And we've talked with other guests about entrepreneurs specifically and bravery, right? Because there are people who believe that entrepreneurs by design are very brave in respect to putting things at risk financially, personally, professionally. You know, others believe it's just the nature of the beast. They have an idea or a solution that they are committed to and consider them to be risky, but different in respect to how they interact in the marketplace. I'd love to hear your thoughts based on your experiences with people you have interacted with. You know, are entrepreneurs by definition brave or lucky? You know, what what words come to mind that, uh, you know, you could share with our listeners? You know, it's interesting because when I was in private equity, I was part of a by invitation group and I was invited to come in and I was the least of all of these 300 people. Uh, the average investable was about 50 million at that time. And so I was, believe me, I was on the bottom rung. But they were looking for high integrity, low ego, and willingness to help other people with no strings. That was part of the screening criteria besides the financial hurdles and having PL responsibility. But it, with those kind of screens, you have some amazing people. And the thing that I really learned from these guys is. Most of them would say, oh, we were just really lucky. We, we really had the right people around them. And a lot of them, you, you would think, oh, well, they just got fire in the belly coming out of the womb. I'm going to be an entrepreneur. Rarely was that the case. Yeah, there were some, but rarely was that the case. In many cases, they saw an injustice or they saw a need they had a fire in the belly and purpose that compelled them. Typically, purpose seemed to com compel them. And so, you know, that was before I even read Rick Warren's book, you know, Purpose Driven Life is before we, I knew about Simon Sinek and his golden circle or any of that, which I'm huge fans of actually both of them. And, um, but purpose seemed to, to drive them. I mean, we, I've got our, we have a podcast that we've been doing for a couple of years called the Anything But Typical Podcast. And we only feature local entrepreneurs and business owners that are willing to tell the behind the scenes story, the not so great and, and the difficult things. And yesterday we had, we'll, we'll release her, by the time this thing releases, it will have released already in March. But um, she was uh, an, an RN and she came from an entrepreneurial family, but she had seen bankruptcy. She had seen the very difficult side of entrepreneurship. And so she really wanted nothing to do with that. She was very risk averse and thought, you know, the RN world, but uh, because of some things that she went through with uh, having a blind child and blah, blah, blah. Um, she started a very high end boutique uh, healthcare concierge uh, for, you know, people that are in the later stages of life or whatever. And, um, and, and, and it was purpose. It was kind of a, a pain point of her own experience that thrust her past her, her, you know, risk averseness, uh, you know? Um, and so I think everybody has a different 
thing. And, you know, I, my father was an entrepreneur on the side. He was an educator, but to make ends meet, he all, and he was always a tinkerer. He, I mean, he did some amazing things. Um, but I, I really didn't, you know, think of myself as an entrepreneur. And I'm quite frankly, I'm not. I like coming alongside, like getting something off the ground requires a tremendous amount of vision, fearlessness, foresight, risk, you know, tolerance and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I keep getting drawn into companies that need to scale to the next level or that were burned out shells or they needed to get redirected or they had something, but they had some sort of a foundation. So I would, I would still not put myself in a true blue entrepreneur category where people call the non-existent into existence. You know, I think true blue entrepreneurs really call the non-existent into existence. Well, you mentioned uh, when we were doing your intro that you ran four companies. Were any of those companies companies that you started? No. Um, the the closest thing was, all right, so what became the Morris Fry Agency? Um, and it was probably six people at the time. Everybody quit after we had to take 20% pay cuts. So it was just me and my partner looking at each other. And he did his PR thing and I did everything else. And then we scaled. So that was as close. Um, bizjournals.com, which, you know, we, we grew into a hundred million dollar company. It was three people when I was brought in to rebrand it, turn it into a real company and get publishers, 41 publishers across the country who were very frightened about the existence of this thing in 1999 and 2000 to form alliances and win-wins for them so that they did not see this as a threat to you know their own existence, but they saw it as a compliment to their existence. So those are the, the two closest um, you know, to really a startup, but they weren't true startups. Well, Gary, I'm wondering, many of our guests share a story about their past where they did not show bravery and the implications or ramifications of that. And I'm just wondering, you know, if you might have that type of story. I got plenty of them. (laughs) (laughs) All All we need is one. Yeah. So, you know, what I think I'll do is I'll generalize and, and, give you a little bit of background. So I, sure. again, I grew up in a very humble Midwestern family, Mennonite. All right. So we were pacifists. We, you know, um, it was bad juju to, um, you know, take up arms. It was, I never even got in a fight. I mean, I got pretty close and <laughs> somebody had to kind of restrain me, but I have never even hit a human being. So, um, you know, fast forward, you know, when I think about through my entire existence, I've been non-confrontational in many ways early on. And so I just would take it, you know, and I just thought, well, that's what you do. You, you, you just take it. And, and it wasn't until actually it was like 2004. So, I mean, I'm ashamed to say that was 18 years ago. But I was in a situation where I had been brought in to work with the CEO of a company that um, uh, a couple of their clients and one of them was Yokohama. Yokohama was was sideways. It was it was getting really wobbly and is a big client. So I was brought in to work with the CEO and that team. And then they ended up hiring me. So I ended up working in full time. But so one of the pieces of business that I was in, in charge of running 
um, was a, a decent sized piece of business. And one of the C-suite execs that we were interfacing with all the time had been had retired early from Coca-Cola at a very high level. And this guy had, you know, horse ranches. I mean, he was a very wealthy guy and he was used to having his way or the highway, you know, it was always his way. Well, we were in a meeting, a conference call with this guy and our head of account service for that account, one of the best that we had in the company. And at the time it was about a 140 person company that I was in. Um, this guy, brings this woman to tears. He's just berating, going on and on and on. And finally, I had to say, time out. This meeting is now over. And what was your role at the company? Um, I was running that piece of business as well as some other pieces. I was I was co-leading our automotive group. This one fell into financial services. And because I had been with two big banks, they they wanted me to handle some of that stuff too. So um, you know, I had, I had authority, but the CEO had never backed his people. Uh, he, he was so afraid of losing an account that, and he wanted the money. And, he, and he, what was weird is he, he's really not a materialistic person. He's a really good guy, but he just could not, he would always acquiesce. The client was always right. And so uh, you know, this guy starts backpedaling immediately after I say, you know, and people around the table are looking at me like, you know, eyes the size of saucers going, what is going on here? This is a strange thing. And it was kind of an out-of-body experience for me, too, because if it was me, I would have just kept taking it. But this, you know, seeing somebody that really cared for them, that was really good, and she was working her butt off for them, to see her in tears just made me inflamed. And so, you know, I was very calm about it, but very firm. I'm like, and, and she's like, no, 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 you know, I, I'm sorry. And I'm like, no, you need to cool down. We'll reschedule this. Then afterwards, he calls me and he's lighting me up. You know, he's like, I'm so, so sorry. And I, and I'm like, yeah, I get it. But he crossed the line and we can restart and that's okay. And what I learned was bullies just understand a quick swift hit to the nose that they weren't expecting it. And again, that's coming from a pacifistic guy. I was raised pacifistic. So, but I, I wish I would have learned that much earlier. It doesn't mean that you have to be a bully. It's just that bullies only understand one thing sometimes. Great. Uh, well, how did the interaction unfold? What is kind of the ending chapter? Did you reconvene the meeting and did he apologize to the individual that he oh, upset yeah, yeah. I, I mean i said we need a week we're not just doing it in tomorrow you need to think about it um and i think the biggest thing like i learned a lot for me personally but the other thing that i learned was how other people in the company reacted they felt like oh we've got somebody that's actually got our back. And that was not my intent. I wasn't trying to go, hey, look at me. I'm the hero here. That was never the intent. And I also realized CEO could say, Jack, you're out of here. You know, I mean, he because he could actually do that. I wasn't the CEO. Um, he didn't. He wasn't real happy about it. But I and, and I don't know that he ever really understood that you know, the, 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 the client is not always right. 
if you if you don't back up your people, there's a you know your your good people are going to leave. Mm-hmm. Period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's either Bill Gates or Richard Branson or somebody that said you know first you have to take care of your employees then you take care of your customers because a lot of people think you have to take care of your customers first or the bottom line first and then your employees but you're you're not going to have a great company you're not going to interact well in the marketplace you're not going to be who you want your organization to be unless everybody is rowing in the same direction and highly engaged in what it is that you are doing i totally agree with that Gary, it has been great chatting with you today. Thank you so much for your story. I'm sorry yeah. that you had to experience that. And <laughs> for your uh, observations about entrepreneurialism, if folks want to talk more about the work that you do and your perspectives, what's a way that they can get in contact with you? LinkedIn is definitely the best place for me. And it's just simple. It's Gary Fry, G-A-R-Y-F-R-E-Y. And if you see the word MacGyver, you got the right one. <laughs> <laughs> so where did the, just quickly, where did the MacGyver moniker so come from? When I was brought into Nations Bank, which became Bank of America, they had made the largest bank acquisition in history at that time with Boatman's Bank shares mid, in the Midwest, 11 states. And they brought me in to, and they said, this is kind of a MacGyver role. We need you to go figure out why our metrics are upside down why our attrition levels are higher and this and that. And so they thought they had assumptions that were partially correct. But, um, you know, so I had to just go figure it out. And, um, you know, so that's, and it kind of stuck. Got it. Got it. Well, I love it. I love it. I hope you've, you know, go daddied it and uh, utilize it for marketing purposes. Yeah, I should. Well, thank you again, Gary, for your time today. It has been fantastic chatting with you. It's been my pleasure. Thanks so much, Ed. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us today. And we hope you join us on our next podcast conversation as we further explore being brave at work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at bebraveatwork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on multiple online platforms. We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies, whom you can reach at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at capitrisk.com. And a reminder to check out my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Own Success, which is available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio everywhere online. Do you have something to say, yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do, yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.